This has been a live recording of the Effing Shakespeare podcast by Bloomsday Literary at the 2023 AWP Conference and Book Fair. We're thankful to be the official podcast for AWP for a third year and have invited a gallery of guests that you don't want to miss out on. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you interviews of amazing writers sharing about their amazing work. Enjoy. Kristen Miyatis Young is with us today, and she's like so ready to go because she already did a podcast interview on the Blazer, a segment that oh, with, with Pena, Pena host, ghost host. I started, I, I coined a phrase. He's ghost hosting. But you're here to talk about your amazing novel, Thank Subduction, you. and the journalistic work that you do for the people of this country. <laughs> And all of the cool things. So I'm excited to talk to you. I'm so glad that you uh, agreed to come on this crazy show of ours today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Let's get to it. I want to talk about Subduction. Can you first just tell me how that novel came to find its way at Red Hen Press? And I say that as though it was like the novel just walked up to the door and said, hello, publish me. But I'm sure there's more to it. Can you, can you talk about that? Well, Red Hen Press had published uh, Alyssa Washuda's My Body is a Book of Rules. And I went to my UW MFA with Alyssa and met her on a bench outside of Pedelford and started talking to her. And really, she's such an ethical and uh, kind and rigorous and thoughtful writer. I teach her work. I teach My Body is a Book of Rules. I also teach White Magic, uh, which came out on Tin House. But I followed her to Red Hen Press because I saw that they were willing to back work that was bold. I like their very intersectional slate of authors that they are publishing every year. And I like that they are in nonfiction, they're in poetry, they're in fiction. And, you know, as a result, you know, they read with that eye. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. so that was appealing to me. That's amazing. And then Alyssa Washuda also interviewed you about Subduction when it came out. Yes. For Literary Hub? For The Rumpus. For The Rumpus. Course. She was one of my first readers. Amazing. In that interview, I was struck by something that she wrote. As a reporter taught to write about complex subjects in the third person, I was made to project an omniscience I didn't believe in. For that reason, subduction is an extended inquiry into the dangers of disembodied knowledge, the currency of mainstream media reports, and too much academic production. I'm glad that more contemporary thinkers invoke their own personality. Those were your words. Yes, thank yes. you. I, I love being quoted to myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes, I said that, and I firmly believe it still. Yeah. But I'd love to hear about how that informs your work as a fiction writer. Mm -hmm. Tell me, Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, concept? so I think that it's subduction is a study in always kind of recurrent we're currently going meta, right? The entire book is an examination of, and, and an indictment in some ways, of this, this longing that we have to be in contact with others who are not like us. And whether that be, you know, across gender lines, sexual, or whether it be cultural, mm -hmm. the, the book features a Latina anthropologist who travels out to the Macaw Nation, dragging all this damage with her. Her husband just left her for her sister, and she's a stranger and an other to herself. She has uh, alienated herself from her own desires for so long that it rendered her very brittle. And so through the process of writing the book, 
I used a series of transcripts. Uh, I showed her one of the actually most painful scenes for me to write was uh, where she's butchering this transcript that she made. And she's editing out things that, phrases that betray her intentions. And it felt, I mean, you know when you, it felt so wrong for me, even when I was writing it, for her to be doing this. Mm-hmm. And it was it was horrifying, right? The book also explores, you know, notions of what is possible to, um, when is it possible to provide consent, uh, not just sexually, but culturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we find the characters in uh, positions of, of compromised consent. Uh, and part of that examination is of the power dynamic between them. Peter is uh, a Macaw man who has come back to uh, the Macaw Nation and to take care of his mom, Maggie, who has dementia and become a hoarder. And he kind of enlists Claudia to help him go through this hoard into... um, Claudia had been working with his mother for several years in his absence, and she knows a lot about him. More, she knows more about sometimes about his family history than than he knows because his mother has been protecting him from this information for a long time about the disappearance of his father. Mm -hmm. And so these people... One of the things I really wanted to examine is the difficulty of the transmission of knowledge. And the whole book, you could say it's built around the architecture of what remains unsaid between them. Um, so, you know, one of them will have information that the other one just doesn't have. Um, and, and you'll see that, at the, but the reader, of course, is the container for all of the information that is known. But you see the pain and the longing. And most of us live in basically permanent states of non-disclosure, right? Right. That, that, and so examining that in fiction, what do we not disclose about who we are, what we want, how we mean to get it, and what we hope for, um, we carry this around like it's a secret. Um, and you see that secret hurting us from inside, and you can do that with fiction in a way that you can't really do it in nonfiction. You know, even though as a journalist um, and a book critic, I'm, I, as a book critic, I use the first person regularly. Um, but as a journalist, I was taught to be in the third person, right. and that was so that I could have the institutional authority that would, you know, convey that disembodied by the, knowledge. That disembodied right. knowledge, and so and that there is a, there is a role for that. But what that did also was erase the greatest wisdom that I've ever had, which is the embodied wisdom of being a woman. Right, mm-hmm. and so, and and also my my ethnic history, um, and that intergenerational diasporic knowledge, um, all of that was also taken away in order to convey that authority of the third person. So it's a question of what you As give the up. Daughter of uh, Cuban parents, yes. right? Yes. And so, what do you give up in order to gain that authority? Um, and how do we then become strange to ourselves uh, in order to gain power in this world? Right. So it's really, in in some ways, you know, not only uh, the novel is very much about the burden of whiteness. Uh, and, and, and the cultural um, assimilation as that burden of whiteness, um, as Claudia has, um, you know, basically passes uh, in order to be uh, given more access uh, within her academic environment and not to be uh, tokenized. Uh, and she also does it, though, because she doesn't want to carry the prejudices that people have against um, her people. Right. Right. So, right. so it, she gives up so much in order to gain that access. And that, of course, there's an intergenerational story about assimilation that's happening in this country every day. It's happened within my own family, and it's happening in this fiction. Back to the journalist side of things, have you run up against any pushback from some of the institutions where you're submitting work or your work for the New York Times or even with the book reviews when you're using the first person and you're trying to subvert some of those that that concept of disembodied knowledge. What's the reaction of the institutions for for which you're publishing? I'm most regularly a contributor to the Washington Post, and I have such an amazing editor there. Her name is Stephanie Mary, and she loves it. 
She loves it. She's all about it, right? Mm. And one of the things that I really enjoy about her is that now, I mean, she gave me like an Isabel Allende book to 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 review, and I I didn't like you know panning it, but it was badly written, and you know I I don't like doing that. Uh, I don't I will if I have to because I'm here to serve the reader and not to serve the author, frankly. Um, but. You know, I found a way to kind of open it up. I was like, you know, my mother, which is true, my Cuban mother was like, she, she texted me and she's like, you know, sweetheart, um, can you get out of doing the Allende review? And, <laughs> you know, and it was a little sparkly heart, you know. And my editor let me put that as the very first line, you know, because I'm like, my whole family's worried about what I'm about to do here, you know. Uh, so I really appreciated that, that she even let me. And and I've I've done a couple of reviews. I've done reviews in the second person, actually, of a book called Bloomland uh, by John Englehart. But... One of the things that I really like about the Washington Post, and this isn't true of the New York Times, that the Washington Post, I can pitch books to review, and as a result, I'm able to bring in uh, a very intersectional canon, right? So I've been really uh, honored to review books by Matilda Bernstein-Sycamore, uh, Billy Ray Belcourt, Carmen Maria Machado, Valeria Luiselli, oh, yeah. like Maggie Nelson, nice. Melissa Phoebos, and, and I mean, this book, yeah. after, this, this bangers, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and like, most recently, I think, Superstars. Ross Gay. Yeah, yeah and, it, and, so, and, I, and when, I do, when I do that, you know, I read everything that person's ever written. Um, and it makes me better, right? right? And it makes right. the review better. And so she knows that I do that preparation. She knows. And so she basically lets me get away with whatever I want to do. What do you do just in terms of serving other freelancers out there? How do you, how did you find that in Steph, is it her name? Is her Steph, Stephanie, Stephanie, yeah. How, how did you find that relationship where someone is not only allowing it, but encouraging it and, and cultivating that sort of stance? Well, one thing I will say is I feel like, in, especially in the literary world, like people are trying to build their bios rather than thinking about um, building relationships. And so you know, why, if, if you found an editor at a literary review that is publishing your work that likes it, submit to them again, right? But people are like trying to submit to like other reviews so that they yeah. can like have that line item. I'm like, y'all, don't you know that the more you work with this person, the more they're going to understand your style and then you can keep pushing and pushing and pushing mm. things. The and more fruitful. It. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so I, I have been reviewing almost exclusively for the Washington Post for since 2018 for that reason, yeah. because I know that I can be innovative with the reviews. Life lessons. Yeah, again, very practical. I know. Practical. For the people. <laughs> For the people. <laughs> it's amazing work. It's just because we have amazing guests. Yeah. That's nothing uh, of course. Yeah. I want to say uh, thank you so much for your comments during my conversation with Viet Nguyen. Uh, that was a real honor for me. And I, when you invited me to come on this podcast, I was like, wait a minute. I know that guy. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered. Yeah. I, I was honored you remembered. And that was virtual two years ago, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Amazing. You know. He's a, such a good interview. Ooh. Yes, he is. Yeah. I had the chance to uh, speak to him uh, virtually just maybe right after that interview uh, for a congregation in South Carolina, a UCC congregation that they have a series on ethics and theology. Oh, wow. And so I'm a theologian by trade. And so he was on and I was on and then we had a poet on also uh, and so we were in conversation together. Fantastic. Um, yeah. I love, I mean I'm so interested by theology. There is this ache, you know, where God used to be mm. um, and uh, but I've always enjoyed the rigor of um, theologians and that, that thinking about divinity and thinking about the larger moral questions that are begged by the question or absence of God. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm impressed by writers too, and so that's why I'm here. Awesome, very good. 
If there was a emoji to characterize the conversation that's happening now, it would be the sparkly hearts. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. The first thing I thought of was sparkles. Sparkles. Yeah. You are a sparkles toy. everywhere. Kristen, it's so lovely to meet you, and it's such an honor to get to dive into your work. Thank you so much. I want to ask you, lastly, before we leave, if there's anything, what's the most AWP thing that you've heard at the conference? Even though the conference just started, you must have heard some AWP things. Well, actually, so just, it's something that I said and someone overheard and responded to. Uh, So I was in the elevator talking to one of my fellow panelists, Michelle Bowdler, the author of Is Rape a Crime? Uh, A a memoir, an investigation, and a manifesto. It's an excellent book. So I'm telling her, I'm reading an essay tonight that is going to be at this reading called Nonfiction for No Reason up at the woods on the third floor. And I, I wrote this essay about how my grad school mentor uh, tried to steal and rape my work. And I, I, was, I just said that to uh, Michelle. I was like, you know, uh, my mentor tried to rape my work. And this woman in the elevator turned back and looked at me. And she said, the same thing happened to me. And I looked at her and I said, well, you know, I did get him stripped of his endowed chairship. And she said, me too. Oh, my word. And I was like, yes. Yes. Okay? Yes. That is community. That, that is, is community. Amazing. And she was, and I was grateful that I had said it in this public environment because we then connected. And saw each other. Yeah, we saw We need yeah. to see each other. Oh. Exactly. That's so good. Thank you so much. Thank you. That essay is out in Volume 1 Brooklyn uh, for anyone who's, who's interested. Yeah. yeah. It's called How to Break Even. Nice. All right, we, we're gonna have to compose a list, a reading list from the AWP interviews because Vivi Sugi Ganeshanathan was just on and she recommended five or six craft books that I have to go out and buy. Oh, wow, nice. And then I've gotta read that essay and the essay that you referenced that spawned your break-even essay, which was by who? Say so, that one again. Uh, so the, um, the essay that I was uh, referring, the work that it was, I had written an essay, a braided essay, in order to, for my critical thesis, okay. and it was that that he tried to steal Okay. Uh, for his own memoir. Oh, special place. No. The answer is no. At the University yeah, yeah, of yeah, Health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. answer to that request is yeah. no. The line is wrong here. <laughs> All right, well, we will compose that. We will compose that list and we will link to all of the things. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you. Effie Shakespeare is a production of Bloomsday Literary, hosted by Kate Martin Williams, Jessica Cole, and produced by me, Fu Lu. Our trusty and hardworking intern is Elena Welsh. With special thanks to Juanita Lester and the AWP staff, without whom this would not be possible.